This episode of MBSing is sponsored by Know Your Company. Got 25 to 75 people in your company? Check out knowyourcompany.com, software that helps companies like Airbnb know their company better. I do my head toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Hello, welcome to MBSing. I'm your host, Mary Beth Smith. My guest today is my friend Hal Lublin, and he talks to me about his love of wrestling. We cover the beginning of his fandom when he was a kid and wrestling was a more regional endeavor through Vince McMahon taking the WWF nationally and having Hulk Hogan as his champion and through to today when there's a a WWE, you know, subscription network that has all these old fights on it and every fight of the like 11 hours a week that currently happens. So it was fun because we kind of journey through wrestling and through Hal's relationship with it. Uh, speaking of which, if you want to listen to more of Hal's uh, coverage and love of wrestling, you should definitely check out his podcast on the Maximum Fun Network, Tights and Fights, that he co-hosts with Daniel Radford and Open Mike Eagle. And they kind of cover wrestling with the hilarity and sincerity that they feel it deserves and I definitely feel like that is an accurate way to describe Hal himself. If you're into this podcast, might I recommend another show in the Chicago Podcast Co-op of which MBSing is a part. I would like to recommend Our Fair City. It's an audio drama not too far from the uh, Welcome to Night Vale ilk of things. Those of you who are fans of Hal Lublin may know him as recurring character Steve Carlsberg on that show. So I think it makes sense to tie that in here. One last thing before I get to his interview. Please check out the Kickstarter that the Nerdalogs have put together for our second card game called Competition Kitchen. If you're a fan of party games and or cooking competition shows, I can practically guarantee that you'll enjoy at least checking this thing out, you know, watching the Kickstarter video, seeing if it's worthy of your dollars. I have insider info that my dear friend Hal has backed the project, and I just can't thank him enough for that, and uh, I think you should join the club. It's going to be a really wonderful game. All the art's done by a former guest on NBSing, Kevin Budnick, and uh, I think it's going to come out looking just swell. So check that out on Kickstarter. One last shout out for Hal's show, We Got This, with his friend Mark Gagliardi, who was my guest a few weeks ago. If you check this out and want more of their dynamic, go check out Mark's episode of MBSing about rent. And we got this to hear Mark and Hal settle just the most age old of debates from week to week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Hal for being my wonderful guest, and uh, get into it. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. Happy We take the good with the bad, right, us uh, podcasters? Yeah. That's what we do. <laughs> That's the facts of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, let's let's get into this, shall we? Yeah. My wonderful guest today is my friend Hal Lublin, and we're going to talk about his love of wrestling. And yeah. 
I'd love to start by asking what the origin of your interest in wrestling was. I think I was the right age when it broke nationally. So uh, when I was a kid, like the the early, real early 80s and before that, wrestling was all territorial. So if you lived in Minnesota in that area, you were watching AWA. If you lived in my neighborhood, like Philadelphia, you watched WWF because that was their territory. They were the Northeast Territory. Whoa. And then Vince McMahon had this idea to take it national and Hulk Hogan was the guy he chose to be his champion. Like, this is the guy I'm going to throw everything behind. And that was, he won the title, I think, in 84, 83 or 84. So I was like six or seven years old. It was like the perfect age right. to get into wrestling. And I kind of, it's carried through over the years, sometimes more intensely than others. But <laughs> now it's sort of, it's sort of etched in there. It's uh, having a bit of a renaissance of late, regardless I would say. I mean, WWE slash F especially, they've been so media savvy for so long that now it's they have their own streaming service. So you can watch all the old stuff. So people who were fans of it back in the day have something to watch. And then obviously they're putting out tons of programming. They've got reality shows. They're doing – I auditioned for – Yes. Like the Jetsons meet the WWE. What? Yeah, or like they're in, they're hanging out with the Flintstones, and it's all the Flintstone versions of all the different characters. Like entirely animated. Yeah, yeah, that like they're doing movies. Is like, hilarious. Yeah, so they're everywhere now. Video games, films, books, comic books, like anything you can think of, they've got at least a, a foot in the water, if not their entire body. What makes you <laughs> what makes you say that they've been media savvy all along? Well, they've just they were first of all, Vince McMahon was really smart to take it national. He did it at the right time. He partnered with um Cindy Lauper <laughs> to do like That's... the rock and wrestling stuff. Like he just knew he knew how to follow trends. Like they were into social media fairly early mm-hmm. uh and trying to figure out how to use it to build a fan base and connect to their fan base and keep people invested because over time, like we all, we all, most of us understand the conceit that it's all predetermined and choreographed. So now it's like, well, how do we keep you involved? (laughs) I hate to do this. I I feel like I've just ruined it for everybody. It's true. (laughs) Listen, Mary Beth and everybody listening, you're old enough now to know what I'm about to tell you. No, I have to. This is, Santa Claus is not real. <laughs> what? The tooth fairy is just your parents or legally appointed guardian putting money under your pillow while you sleep, which is real creepy. Oh, oh no. <laughs> that oh, is a really no. creepy, like, if you give me your teeth, I'll give you money for them. It's a, and those are adults. <laughs> it's a real, there's so much wrong with the things that we tell children. <laughs> <laughs> Did your parents try to trick you as a child into thinking that, like, vegetables and fruit were candy? Um, I think that my parents' motto was that they wanted me to be a clean plate clubber. And I don't think oh, they wow. ever tried to uh, um, specifically, like, fool me into thinking I was eating something I wasn't eating. Uh, <laughs> but I was, like, expected to finish meals and I think the only thing that kept it from being difficult was 
I wasn't a particularly picky eater, but I fucking hated lima beans. And every time my mom would make lima beans, I'd just be like, no. Listen, I'm like, <laughs> nine times out of ten, I'm totally cool on this stuff, but this is mush, and it tastes bad. <laughs> <laughs> would you try to put the smallest possible amount on the plate? Absolutely. It was, it was a bargain, right? You had to bargain with them. Yes, I would have to eat. You, it would absolutely be like, if you eat four bites of lima beans, then maybe you can have some ice cream after dinner like it was straight up <laughs> and that was the only food i was like that that i can remember anyway it just sucked and now i'm an adult and i never have to eat them again <laughs> i was gonna say sometimes like i didn't like spinach as a kid and i love mm-hmm. it now you didn't I'm, you didn't like come around and go hey you know what my parents were right lima <laughs> beans are awesome i love them the most uh no the only thing is <laughs> I've come around hard on like mushrooms, but my mom doesn't like mushrooms, so she never made them when I was a kid. Um, yeah. But no, lima beans are bullshit. Uh, my mom, <laughs> <laughs> she would sometimes make like succotash, those like lima beans and uh, corn and carrots maybe. And so I would yeah. try to always just get corn and carrots, but you c- these are all very small vegetables. You can't do that. <laughs> no, every once in a while one sneaks in there. Like a like a dirty frisbee, it's just sitting there <laughs> on the plate. You're like, mm, I see you there. I know because if I don't eat you with the other stuff, eventually I just have a fucking pile of lima beans on my plate. <laughs> yeah, exactly, that's a nightmare. Exactly. So it's a matter of like, you know, that old Mitch Hedberg joke. I think it is where he's like, I like to think that my food, like if I eat a carrot, then it will hold hands with the bad food and take it down into my stomach and be like, it's okay. He's with me. (laughs) Uh, I definitely had that like strategy where I was concerned, just like one lima bean to lots of other, the ratio had to be pretty large. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like uh, hiding a pill in cream cheese. Yeah. 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 We've, I've been there. I've been there. Uh huh. Sure. Uh, did your parents sell you horrible lies as a child? <laughs> they did. They told me carrots were candy. And I didn't have chocolate until I went to stay with my aunt, my mother's sister, who gave me chocolate plate. Like, she didn't know. She wasn't like, fuck you, Sheila. I'm going to give him chocolate. <laughs> it was just like, I'll bet you he would like this. And the way she describes it, the way my aunt describes it, and my eyes, like, grew three sizes. Like, I looked like a like the scared bellhop at a Three Stooges short. Like, <laughs> Just my eyes got real big. Like, I can't how, believe I'm eating this chocolate. How old were you? Uh, 22. No, I was, um, <laughs> I don't know. I must have been like somewhere between two and four. It was oh, okay. like young enough, young enough to believe the lies of a parent. Right. Without, without being like, I think he maybe he's a little stupid. <laughs> He's old enough to see. He's seen candy at this point, surely. There's no way he thinks that, like, uh, an Abba Zabba is the same as that carrot stick. Vegetables. Like, he's got to be. Yeah, something is wrong. Yeah. He still believes that. Uh, uh, but, yeah, you, that ruined me. Were there times where your parents would, like, would use wrestling as leverage? Or were they kind of always on board with your interest in it? Yeah, they were. I mean, they were cool with it. They actually, um, when I was... I must have been like nine. They took me to the Spectrum in Philadelphia to see live wrestling, to see Hulk Hulk Hogan and the British Bulldogs and Randy Savage and like all of the big, because they would, you know, whatever they would do in a pay-per-view or at a big event, which they had very few of back then, they would go and do loops 
where they would do the same matches and just sort of get them in shape. Or it would be like, this is drawing money, so we're going to keep this match. It's going to be Hulk Hogan versus King Kong Bundy for the next month. And everywhere we go, we'll, we'll do the same match, and they'll maybe they'll fine-tune it and stuff. But there's no way somebody in Hartford, Connecticut is going to – is going to be able to spoil a match for me in Philadelphia because there's no way to do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then man. they have to work so much harder now because of the internet. <laughs> well, it's true. Like everybody, <laughs> and I go and read stuff, but I, I also feel like I don't want things spoiled. Like you, you don't want to, <laughs> you don't want to go see like a production of Hamlet and not know anything about it and be like, <laughs> he dies at the end. He doesn't make it. Most people die in it. <laughs> like you, I don't want to go read that on the like there. It, it's it's a but but I think that's how fans now get connected to to wrestling. Like th- that makes them feel closer and like ownership of it. Like oh, I'm inside too. I know what's going on. I'm part of the business by reading the stories, the reports from like every show. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, and like reading, like, oh well, I know uh, backstage right now, uh, Triple H is uh, upset that The Rock is making more money than him, so that their match isn't going to go as planned or whatever. Whatever. That's I completely made that yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, most of what we think we know as fans, we don't really know. Like, who knows what's actually going on? And uh, you know the 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 savvier storylines that they can put together now sort of take advantage of that. If you really don't know, like, wait, is that really? Is he really upset right now? Is he really mad at the company or what? You know, it's you, you have to keep fans guessing. And as, and I like watching it as somebody who enjoys it. I like going into something and not knowing either. I don't know what's going to happen, or I get lost in what's happening and and my my disbelief gets suspended to the point where I'm like, I get, it gets excited. My adrenaline gets up. Like I, I enjoy that. That's really funny in the sense that it is, it is this like totally performative, you know, sport and, and source of entertainment. Um, and it seems like, uh, there are portions of the fan base that kind of, um, ignore the fact that or at least like look over the fact that all of it could be fabricated to some extent yeah to me like when i heard about john cena proposing at uh wrestlemania i was like oh cool i'm sure that was his idea you know what i mean like yeah like whose idea who on the like staff was like all right cena i got a big idea for wrestlemania you know and that to that sucks interpersonally for them to me if depending on like how much say they have in that situation uh you know maybe i'm overthinking it and they're totally on board with whatever it it comes along with that that huge like personal decision being put on a national scale but Mm -hmm. uh, yeah (laughs) well (laughs) the other thing is like people John Cena is one of those guys who gets like half cheers and half boos everywhere yeah. he goes. But right. the reaction's loud and people buy his merchandise, so everything's fine. Yeah. But there was a real chance that when he proposed, the crowd would boo them. Right. Which is a terrible way to 
to try and remember that moment. But thankfully, the the crowd was like a little bit like, oh, that's right. We're not just one giant animal made up of people. <laughs> we're human beings with dignity. And if it were me up there, I certainly wouldn't want to be booed. So I'm not going to boo. Right. It did seem like the response to it. I mean, obviously, you could speak to this more than I could as someone who only like casually knew about a few things that were happening. Uh, but it seemed like the response to it was like generally positive. People were pretty jazzed and like genuinely uh, surprised that something like that happened. Yeah. I think, uh, like, I had a sense that it was going to, like, this, obviously that's where this is leading. It's got to be. At some point, he's going to propose to her. Right. But it's still, I mean, it worked, and it was lovely. It was, it, there There were a lot of moments watching it where I was like, this makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Right? Like, like how- I don't, I don't know these people. It's voyeuristic on some level. And yeah. uh, the fact that they were willing to kind of submit themselves to that. Uh, and plus, how did she know who was proposing to her if she couldn't see him? Nikki <laughs> yeah. Bella marries Invisible Man. <laughs> I assume he's there. I hear his voice. I, I just echo I've only been dating one person, so if someone's proposing to me, it is my invisible boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I only know like four things about wrestling, so that's probably the best joke that's going to come out of the rest of this on my end. (laughs) Burning through the A material early. You got to get them interested somehow, you know. You got to right. start off. You got to start off with a, a good hot match. <laughs> yep. Get the, get the crowd to a frenzy. Slow it down a little bit. Get them back up. Keep bring some out dollies. the bellows. Bring out the bell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh. Where do you feel like your trajectory? You said you felt like your fandom had kind of had some peaks and valleys over the years. Uh, but I mean, if you were watching live shows with guys like Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan when you were nine, like this thing is ingrained in your being. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I've, even in the times I've taken a break, I've always sort of had some awareness of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And. That's that's like, fun that it never yeah. like fell totally away. Well, and now, especially like the last three years, so I got into I got back into it about three years ago and really sort of caught up on stuff that had happened before and started to really get into the the product they're putting out now. And then it became like, oh, uh, now that I co-host a podcast about it, yeah, I'm in a weird place where I every week. I get to hang out with three friends who love it as much as I do. And we get Uh to talk about it, which is real great. Uh But the flip side is that I feel a responsibility to watch seven hours, seven or eight hours of original programming every week. And it's like, uh, it's like second screen at work down in the corner. (laughs) Maybe I know what, what really happened. I can't digest it as much. It's hard to watch it in real time. So in that way, it's almost like a Twilight Zone. Like, this is what you wanted. <laughs> like, it's so much. It, there's just so much. And yeah. uh, that, that's tough. And then, like, a weekend where there's a pay-per-view, which is, like, every two weeks now, that's an extra four hours to dedicate to it. It's it's that that, is- it's brutal. It's a, it's a, it's a marathon. 
I uh, I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of just like fandom in general. It, it seemingly fandom is becoming oppressive. <laughs> <laughs> like yes. For, for people who are super into things like, you know, the Marvel universe and and uh, anything that's superhero related, it just seems like, you know, uh, there's 10 different television shows alone that you'd have to, if you really wanted to be a completist, keep up with all the time. And yeah. uh, it's, it's, I, it's a, I want to say it's comforting for me to know that at least some of your watching of it is passive. <laughs> yeah, it has to be. It yeah. has to be. I just don't have it, – it's – I can't make the time for anything else. Like I <laughs> 11 want... hours of content a week is insane. <laughs> yeah, and it's like my days are generally like – get to work at six so I can leave at two or three to go do recordings, do auditions, do a job, like whatever else. So the day gets so long. Yeah. Like Tuesday night I was home and I was able to watch half of SmackDown before I passed out on the couch. That, and that was it. Yeah. I was like, I'll catch the rest of this later. That's when you got back was on Tuesday from. Yes. That was my first night back. Mm -hmm. And, and what did you do? Hop right I, on into the wrestling yep. train. <laughs> I gotta watch. I gotta catch up on what happened Monday night because I was I'm, on a <laughs> damn plane. I'm sure your wife is thrilled at all of this. She is a saint. Yeah. <laughs> she's very, like, fortunately, she's super busy too, so she gets That's it. That's good. Yeah, yeah. But also, like, real cool. Like, we don't have a palatial estate. We have a bedroom and a oh. living like. There's no, like, it's not like, we have 900 TVs. It's like, uh-huh. all right, if you're going to watch, then I'm going to go read or I'll go do some work or, because she is not, she has tried, but it is not her cup of tea. It's got to, I think it, you're either in or you're out. <laughs> yeah. It's just one of those things. Uh, well, it's good that uh, you have, you know, people that you can discuss it with that aren't this <laughs> wonderful yes. person in your life who you'd love to be discussing things with, but she has no interest in this at all. No, not her bag. Definitely. Uh, yeah, def- I, I'm very fortunate to have a lot of people in my life who are also fans. Some of whom I almost, uh, 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 do a podcast with and some of whom are just buddies on a text thread. And That's really fun. Yeah. Uh, Cause you know, if you love something, you need to be able to argue about it with people. <laughs> It's very, it's very important to be right. Everybody gather around. I'm lesson number two. Very important to be right. At the expense of relationships and your own dignity, be correct at all times. Uh, what did, you, did you have a bunch of friends in school who were also into it? Um, I did. I, I had some friends. Like, into it as much as anybody is as a kid. Like, nobody – none of us knew – you couldn't be as invested as you as you can be now in terms right. of like I want to understand the backstage politics and the relationships right. and all that. It was fandom it was, wasn't as oppressive. <laughs> exactly, it was whatever you had access to. That that was it. Uh, so people liked it, but I, yeah, I don't remember. Like I think it just sort of washed into everything else that I liked as a kid. Like I like games. I like baseball. Sure. I like comic books. I like wrestling. They were all sort of uh, – I think as you get older, 
you reach a point where you have to, you're more defined by the things you like and you have to define the things you like more because the amount of time you have to, to devote to them changes. That's interesting. And I think there's a lot of truth to it. Um, because as a kid, life is just so carefree. Adults mm-hmm. are lying to you about everything. <laughs> yeah, they're feeding you fake candy and stealing your teeth. So you have to find things to seek solace in that you like. <laughs> do you know where your baby teeth are, by the way? Oh, God, I do think that one of my parents has some of my teeth, uh, mm-hmm. like, in a dresser. Yeah, sure. Of course they do. <laughs> <laughs> those teeth are still around. <laughs> you think those uh, go for a high dollar? Oh, the, yeah. Uh, dark web. <laughs> yeah. I think there are other creepy parents who <laughs> want to buy it. I need, no, I need more tea. <laughs> and I mean, that's the other thing about transitioning from being a young person into being an adult is that like you realize that you could be super into stealing kids teeth and you didn't even know. It just wasn't a possibility <laughs> before you became <laughs> an adult. <laughs> yeah. And then you realize I can make a living at this. Wow. <laughs> This is great. That's really the dream of our generation, isn't it? That's what I was going to say. Yeah, when a passion can become uh, what you do. (laughs) You know what? You never work a day in your life. You love your job. (laughs) (laughs) How does that, like, national uh, recognition change what wrestling looks like? Does it? Well... I th- I think you you all know the same people. I mean, there were there were guys who maybe people had heard of, like Baron von Raschke. He was a Minnesota guy, and he maybe was in the South at some point, and maybe even did a little bit in the Northeast, but he wasn't as huge a star there. Um, Ric Flair was a guy who toured the South, and ah. before all that became national, and certainly before I had like I didn't know who he was until until WCW or NWA was, was on Turner and I could see it on cable. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, like the way those territories worked was people would like Ric Flair would be the champion of NWA and NWA, uh, the national wrestling Alliance was composed of a bunch of different territories. So he would go from territory to territory as the champion. Everybody would get some time with him so they could draw some money and he would help, build stars for them. So once it becomes national, then we all have a common language and we're, you see the same people everywhere and really television at that time. Now television, it's ratings and advertising dollars and building towards a pay-per-view. But at that time, you use television to show a bunch of squash matches at the spectrum. So you'd see a bunch of stars get built up. And then when a live show would come through where they were wrestling each other, you would pay more money to go see them. So they used television to build up their their house show business because that's where the money was. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah. uh, not dissimilar in some ways to uh, uh, podcasting in the sense that a lot of shows are able to – you know, at least for me as a consumer of podcasts, I love being able to support shows that I'm a fan of by going to live thing events. Yes. Uh, and it seems like there's a there's at least a decent amount of, of crossover there. Is there still that regionality, like in terms of the uh, different like divisions of the league? 
Uh, sort of. I mean, WWE is the undisputed biggest game in the country, probably in the world, although Japan has its own scene. But there's certainly there are independent promotions now. It works a little differently than it used to. Um, you know, there's Ring of Honor in Philadelphia, and out here there's Pro Wrestling Guerrilla. There's uh, Chikara, which I think is also based out of Philly, maybe. There are a lot of, like, independent promotions all over the place. Yeah. None of them are as big as territories were. Uh-huh. But it's still a way for people who are coming into the business as performers to sort of cut their teeth. Like, it's your – I mean, I don't even know if it's regional theater or, like, a step below that. Or maybe it is regional theater. Yeah. And then, I was kind of thinking of it in terms of, like – like studio productions versus indie films. Uh, right. In terms of WWE, obviously being like the tall dog and the most production money and value and things like that. I think Chicago's, one of Chicago's biggest ones is called Resistance. Is that right? Okay. Sounds um, sounds right. I think I've heard of it before. Uh, I have some friends who do, um, uh, like who call matches for them and because uh, they're just like, wrestling fans who have shows out of Chicago who like eventually got kind of tied up in the, the local scene here. Um, yeah. Marty DeRosa and Sarah Shockey, they have a, a show. Uh, Sarah Shockey has been a friend of mine for a really long time. And she um, probably came to wrestling like around when you got back into it, which I think is part of the reason why I have like seen wrestling as having a Renaissance. Right. Uh, even though I'm not <laughs> sure if that's just like my own perception of it or if it is like a universal one, but I'm sure that the WWE <laughs> network stuff, I don't know how long that's been around, but I know it's huge. It's, it's been about three years, a little, maybe a little longer. So it, yeah, that, that was really a game changer, uh, in terms of like having access to all the, the model instead of having to pay, 50 bucks a month to watch a pay-per-view and that's all you get for that month. Or if you're lucky, it's like 30 bucks, anywhere from 30 bucks. And then WrestleMania was getting up to like 70 or 80. Now, $10 a month, you get every pay-per-view, you have an archive of everything. You've got old shows. They're putting out new content. Like they're really, they're kind of going all in on it. And I don't know. I I feel like maybe they're closing in on 2 million subscribers or one and a half. So, it's good, but it's not – I still think that they – there's definitely room for a lot more growth there. It, what do you think they could stand to uh, grow? I think it's I think it's a matter of opening up the archives a bit more. I mean they, they, part of what they did as they became the only game in town was buy the tape libraries of all their former competitions. So now you can watch – old memphis wrestling old houston wrestling oh cool uh, yeah old minnesota stuff old uh georgia stuff you can watch some of it but they haven't released all of it uh so i think that will help and i you know i i, I don't know the direct I, like i i'm very sort of fascinated by the business aspect of it how they're generating revenue and i don't know what feeds into what right now Huh. Because television show, you know, I don't know. Are they trying to drive people to those shows? Are they trying to get people who are watching those shows to become subscribers on the network? How are they? Because they're only retaining a percentage of the people who watch television every week. 
Right. And, you know, just how that how those models work, the pay-per-view buy rate, which was sort of the measure of success for a long time, doesn't really exist anymore. Is, because yeah, if you're a fan, it doesn't seem who's going to buy that stuff except for maybe like bars or something like that. Yeah. What, what person, uh, you know, on a personal level is going to spend, like you said, upwards of 80 bucks when they could spend 120 for the whole year. Exactly. Uh, it's interesting. My uh, boyfriend's older brother works for ESPN, and w- one of the more recent times that we were visiting them, uh, he showed us the WWE's um, app and all of the content that it had on it, and we're kind of blown away. And he um, was saying that uh, the like in contrast to the NFL especially, but also uh, MLB to some extent, those th- those leagues are actually very, very, like, uh, restrictive with their content. The NFL especially. Uh, you can't, you like, ESPN even can't use <clears throat> clips from games. Uh, they can only use stills. And it, as a result, their coverage of NFL is much, much lower because they just don't have like for especially for social media coverage, which is most of what he does. They don't have things to use. On the other hand, WWE is making it impossibly easy. You know, they have years and years of archives available, not to mention making every single pay-per-view, every single like raw whatever, whatever, available on the app. So a lot of his job in the last few years has swung into wrestling coverage. It's funny. Yeah. Like, he was at WrestleMania this year because he got sent there by ESPN. And it, that aspect of it, to me, reads as WWE getting so much more coverage and, and as a result, so much more money. I mean, obviously, the NFL probably doesn't need any more (laughs) (laughs) they're all good they're capped out yeah and like maybe that's the difference is that like the nfl is such a a tall dog that they don't really need even though their numbers are of viewership have kind of been like tapering off last season uh uh it's not like something like wwe where they really need viewers and and participants and revenue um just in, it's just some like insider info I have from somebody who works at ESPN. <laughs> I love it. I how often uh, how many episodes have you worked in that you know somebody who works at ESPN? Oh, um, well, I've been dating. Uh, I've been seeing my boyfriend for like almost three years, so that's a lot of episodes. <laughs> Perfect. Never stop. Never. I would never. I'd be like, oh, uh, you know, my boyfriend's brother who works at ESPN. I would go. Uh, <laughs> We His pretty much have a standing invite too. to Bristol. Oh, what really? Is that how they met? Uh, it is. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. met at the copying copying machine with the Philly fanatic, just like, hanging out there. You joke, but like it's it's really like not. It was like a bowling work function, and they both had been working there for a little while. And <laughs> she's from Philly. He's from Pittsburgh. They live in uh, Connecticut. Like it's it's very very fun and uh they really uh they love a lot about working there she doesn't cover as much of the wrestling stuff as he does uh, but they both work in um like media relations and things like that i mean though i can remember one of the last times i mentioned it on the podcast is uh kevin reader talked to me about dikembe mutombo and uh i was like oh 
My boyfriend's brother has a picture with him. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I have like three degrees to Dikembe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's your Dikembe number? That's higher than, probably bigger than three, isn't it? Yeah, Mine's so. three. I don't know. No big deal. It's whatever. It's I just, I want all of the listeners to know that they have four because of me. They're, yeah. They're <laughs> hey, everybody gather around. Take a knee. <laughs> uh, this is a big responsibility you have, knowing that you're only four degrees from Dikembe Mutombo. So, gotta straighten your act out, eat your candy, aka carrot, <laughs> knock out some of your own teeth and put them under your pillow. We'll explain that later, and maybe you will get to meet Cookie Monster, the ageless Cookie Monster known as Dikembe Mutombo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I do you think the Kimmy Matumbo just doesn't let the tooth fairy into his house? He's pretty notorious no, for stuff like that. His teeth are huge. Yeah, he just shakes. <laughs> he waves. His I don't think I'm gonna let you in here. And he just shakes his fingers at him. <laughs> I released that episode around Christmas, and I was like, "Well, this doesn't tie to Christmas at all." Christmas at all, but let's see if we can make it. So I googled. <laughs> Dikembe Mutombo Christmas and I found a clip of him like singing a very small part of a Christmas song What? and it was amazing so of course I like tr- use that to transition from the intro into the interview <laughs> I hope you use it all the time for everything Can you please use it for this episode <laughs> absolutely we just assume that it has been used uh, yeah uh by the time you're hearing this, you'll understand why that was already used in the episode. <laughs> and some of you will already know in your hearts why. Exactly. <laughs> it's the only choice. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, when, have you been to uh, live events since you were a kid? I have. Um, I've been to three since childhood. I went in 2000 or uh, 2001, I think. I went to a Raw in Philadelphia, mm. and then uh, two years ago, my goodness, two years ago I went to a pay-per-view, and it turns out a friend of mine who I'd grown up with, and she graduated from high school the year before me, but I, I'd known her since I was like six, she was working for them as a carpenter, and like I saw pictures of her on Facebook like standing with the belts and on the sets, That's and stuff. So I was like, cool. what is going on? So I told her, I was like, She basically just did, like, set construction for WWE. Set construction and props is awesome. But I got to – she was like, come backstage. So I hung out backstage with a couple of friends uh, until it was time to go take our seats. Then, like, six months later, she was like, hey, we're in town for Raw. Why don't you come hang out during the day backstage, and then I'll give you tickets to see the show in the evening and that was amazing hell yeah we got to sit. so so they have something called hard camera the hard camera is set you come down the ramp to the ring the hard camera is in the seating area to the right of the ring like okay. the right hand side so everything everything you see on television is they're they're trained to play to that camera so when you're sitting in the, it like a couple rows away from that camera they're all playing to you that's yes. awesome it's that's so good awesome so good. And I got to meet some wrestlers, which was great. Like, basically, you hang out in catering, which is great because they have the <laughs> best food. It's so good. Just all-day food. 
And then, but they're like, don't talk to anybody unless they talk to you first, which seems odd. But imagine if somebody, like you had a show and you're backstage beforehand, you just want to get ready and warm up. And then somebody's friend is back there and they're like, hey, can I come talk to you about uh, what do you do when you make a blind offer? And I really enjoyed your object work. Like, <laughs> you don't want that. You just want like you f- it's fine if you're back here, but I'm getting ready to have a show. So sure, I I got that. But a couple people talked to us, and and uh, a couple people have become friends from that, which no is way. real cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um. So that's crazy to be like, I'm gonna text this wrestler who I know. No big deal. There you go. I just dropped that. I was going to say. <laughs> Have you uh, – <laughs> I keep thinking – I like my big plan coming on the show was as soon as it started to just go, <laughs> which would be for no one but the two of us. I know, but we got like 40 minutes in without virus <laughs> resisting the air. <laughs> so I'd say that's a win, and everyone yeah. else is just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> Look, if you don't know what that sound is, maybe you shouldn't be in this country. Yeah. Maybe oh, not. No. Maybe that's the line we draw. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm willing to say it. Like That should be the citizenship test. It's just you put out a pair of headphones and you hear, oh. Well, I mean, then, Tim Allen has been vocal about the fact that he feels Hollywood conservatives are being like uh, encroached upon or oh, held yeah. back somehow. So that would be, <laughs> yeah, that's he'd probably be super on board with that. <laughs> yeah. Even the uh, the jazz flute player he has following him around. Go back to where you're from. Uh. Uh. <laughs> uh, what do you think, Tim? Should we deport these immigrants? Oh, I heard yes. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, well, that was something that I spent a decent amount of my childhood watching uh, was was Home Improvement. I watched way more Home Improvement as a kid than I did wrestling. Um, yeah, was it your favorite show? Ooh, no, but it was one of the shows that we watched as a family, for sure. Um, sure. That was actually like a marriage between things that like... I should have been watching and that my parents actually enjoyed. Like I watched a lot of Allie McBeal with them too, but I think it was a little old for me at the time. Why are they all in the same bathroom? I don't get it. (laughs) Do you think the baby is a figment of her imagination or not? Uh, Yeah. I don't know why that was the one that for some reason I saw a lot of, uh, I, I watched a little bit of wrestling as a kid, but it just wasn't yeah. my... Th- I think most of the reason I would watch wrestling is if I had a crush on a boy and he liked wrestling. Right. Which can be ascribed to like a decent amount of things that I watched a little bit of as a kid. Like I didn't like Dragon Ball Z, but the guy that I liked <laughs> did. So. What was yeah. the dumbest thing that you watched? <sighs> this is like... Dragon Ball Z is up there for sure. Yeah. Um I I want to well 
had a huge crush on this guy who really liked Alien versus Predator. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Alien was, like, fine on its own, and Predator was also, like, you know, fine on its own. But Alien versus Predator was, like, it, it was his like coup de gras, his be all end all, and and uh, so I watched like the first two Alien movies and Predator, so that I f- could feel like I had some like backstory for his journey with <laughs> Alien versus Predator, which is like glorified fan fiction. I mean, it is fan fiction ah. essentially. Uh, <laughs> so I guess that's probably the most absurd thing that I like. I got the backstory for his favorite fan fiction, which I think at the time, I think <laughs> Alien vs. Predator was just video games. It was, it, a com- well, it was a comic book first. Oh, maybe that's what it was. Yeah, um, and see, the comic book was good. And he loved it. Um, I, didn't, <laughs> I never read the comic book, but I did watch the movies. And I, I mean, Alien and Aliens are great. Uh, yeah. Predator was like, fine um (laughs) but that's probably the most that i like went out of my way to try to inform myself um in college i was really good friends with a group of people who started doing monday night raw viewing parties and at, at this i don't think there was any like romantic interest in this group of friends i genuinely think it was just i was trying to have friends and it was like over the summer so <laughs> I, know, I know i think i was just trying to make friends out it was totally normal <laughs> where do i where do i fit in <laughs> i don't know they're having viewing parties uh, i guess i like boston legal now <laughs> <laughs> yeah for, that's like not far off um but yeah, and so he invited me, and I was like, I've never watched wrestling before. And he was like, It doesn't matter. It's very stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so we watched, like, uh, I was always amazed at Randy Orton's ability to be wearing a shirt, but not pants. So for some <laughs> reason, <laughs> he always looks like he just went out to get the paper. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was absurd. Like, it seemed. Like, really? You're just going to Winnie the Pooh it in the ring? Like, <laughs> why is that the choice? Why? Listen, he, if, he's, if he thinks he's just going to be out there real quick, it's like me taking the trash out. Like, I, I could just go out the door. I make a right. I head down to the end. It's like a 45-second walk, maybe a little longer. And you go, you throw it down the chute, and you're done. Uh-huh. If, if it's Sunday morning. Why on earth am I going to go put on some pants when my boxer briefs <laughs> look like shorts? Like, oh, that guy, he's wearing T-shirts. He's, uh, he's wearing T-shirts. He's wearing 900 T-shirts. <laughs> he's, wearing- he's got sneakers on and he's wearing what could be shorts. <laughs> I, I'm not even going to give it another look. And I don't – I haven't encountered anybody. But if I did, I I don't even – like. I'd just be like, listen, this is your reality right now. You have to look at this. I know what it looks like. I, and it is exactly how it seems. I've tried to I've put myself. <laughs> and yes, I have given up. Thank you for asking. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I feel like if I'm putting myself into that situation, I'm not judging that person. I'm saying good for you. Those are basically shorts. Uh, mm-hmm. 
but yeah, there's just, I think part of it too was me knowing that there was like a good physique under that shirt and being like, Orton, why are you holding out on us? Uh, <laughs> why can I only look at your quads? <laughs> <laughs> That's not enough. They were nice quads. They still are. He's still in shape. He's in it's very fine. good shape, but I want to compare the pecs to the quads. <laughs> <laughs> you need to see them. You got to know what you're working with. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, who have been some of your favorite? Randy Orton legitimately at the time, if you had asked me who my favorite wrestler was, I might have said Randy Orton just because he fascinated me. Like not even, yeah. I didn't even think he was like that much of a, a great performer. Um, I really liked Kofi Kingston. He was like probably actually my favorite wrestler at the time of the, I don't know, six months of Monday Night Raws I watched. Yeah. Because <laughs> I just <laughs> thought he was really fun to watch. Um, and this was pre The New Day, so uh, they obviously couldn't have been my favorites, even though they're amazing. Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> uh, my favorites all time? Yeah. Uh, J- Chris Jericho is my favorite wrestler of all time, and he's been around. He's a guy who's been on and off with WWE for 18 years now. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I think he wrestled for like five, no, maybe longer, maybe like nine or 10 years before that. So he's had a very long career, still, still can deliver in the ring and tell, you know, like a good match is a well-told story and he tells really good stories and he's so charismatic and such a good performer that He's really good at making you cheer for him as a good guy. And then uh, as a bad guy, he's even better. Every time like every time he comes back, he when he becomes a bad guy, everybody starts going, this is the best run of his entire career. Really? So he keeps, yeah, he keeps topping himself. And, and so in wrestling, when, when uh, getting something over is, is making something popular with the audience. I see you're drinking uh, LaCroix. It's like the official comedy podcaster's drink. Um, the Cards Against Humanity <laughs> office has just an innumerable number of varieties of this, uh, calorie-free, sweetener-free, <laughs> sodium-free, uh, carbonated sparkling water, and I can't get enough of it. So much so <laughs> that, like, I won't buy it for myself, but I crave it all the time. <laughs> Sure. I assume Max sits on a throne of LaCroix. That's a proper assumption. With a scepter made of empties that he waves around. Uh, but uh, so so to get something over is to is to make something popular with the audience. So you get yourself over. If you're if you're a heel or a bad guy, you want them to boo you. That's getting over. If you're a baby face, you want them to cheer for you. So he has gotten why get something over. Like, what's the origin of that? I don't know. A lot of it is carny speak. Like a lot of the terms come from because uh, professional wrestling, if I'm not mistaken, comes from uh, late 19th century English carnivals where they would put on these staged fights. So a lot of the language that they use comes from directly from the carny world. So it's learning to speak carny. I never would have thought about that, but it makes sense because you yeah. picture the guy in the like uh, onesie lifting up giant barbells, ready to wrestle somebody. <laughs> I'll take on any of you, right? Uh, but th- th- so this last run that Jericho's had, he has gotten over uh, scarves, 
a clipboard, the word it. Um, it, like, um, the word it? He, yeah, he just says, uh, you're going to get it. And they're like, what is it? You know, it. <laughs> uh, so oh, he's, uh, he says nothing is what you're telling me? Yes. Uh, the phrase drink it in, man, <laughs> and various others. He comes out and he's like, uh, the, he call, when he was a bad guy, he'd be like, I give you the gift of Jericho. Drink it in, man. Oh and now as a God. good guy, he's he's gone back to be a good guy and the same stuff he can do and get over. And then the clipboard was a list he kept of everybody that he was going to beat up later. Who so whenever somebody had to <laughs> see, give it to. Yeah. So he had a clipboard that said the list of Jericho and he would carry it out to the ring with him. And he'd be like, uh, somebody would interrupt him. He'd be like, you interrupt me. You know what happens? You know what happens when you interrupt me? And then he click. He hold the pen up. The crowd would go crazy, and then he click it, and he go, "You just made the list." And then he would write, and they would go in. There was an episode where his list went missing, and people were legitimately booing the fact that his list was gone. That is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> that is truly incredible. I could totally see why that would be the guy that you're like, yeah. He's he's wearing a scarf and making an audience roar when he clicks a pen dude yeah. could do anything just unbelievable like just all-time legend he's awesome that, that's he's my absolute favorite and he covers so many eras mm-hmm. that it's just interesting to see how he's continued to evolve his character to stay relevant in whatever time period he's in and whoever he has to work with that's so awesome pretty incredible yeah it's really cool that there are people like that, that if you've been following the sport for that long, you kind of have a, uh, like a surrogate into it, you know? I, yeah. I, it's probably part of the staying power for fans who have been there a long time. Yeah. These people won't retire. Yeah. <laughs> you see the movie The Wrestler? Like, it's, that is a part of the business. Is there are people who... Don't hang it up. And not all of them wind up like concussion factories that are in a high school gym. Some of them are able to have a, a flourishing career afterwards, whether it's backstage as a, an agent, meaning you help people put their matches together or as a trainer and teacher. But, you know, people, one more match, one more, uh, give me one more run, one more opportunity to get a big paycheck. Uh, those those kind of things. It's a powerful drug to you know what it's like to go out there in front of an audience and have them cheer and love what you're doing. It's hard to walk away from that when it's all you've known of for a lot of these guys since they were in their teens and they got started. That very uh, sentiment is exactly why I loved The Wrestler. I thought it was an incredible movie. And it definitely absolutely made me like gave me an appreciation for that like presentational, uh, you know, performative thing that is inherent in wrestling that I don't think I had ever really had a, 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 a whole understanding of before. Um, and man, I loved it. Uh, so it's it's great that you um, that you bring that up because uh, I definitely had a thought uh, about it at some point uh, earlier. <clears throat> but uh, and it was so cool that Mickey Rourke's story like wasn't all that dissimilar from 
this kind of down on his luck guy. Yes. And he's uh, he was involved in WrestleMania that year. So I guess the original plan was to have him wrestle a match against Chris Jericho. Whoa. Because because Jericho's a guy who can make him look good. Right. He's obviously going to have to lose to Mickey Rourke. So whoever it is is going to have to be willing to lose. And there are some guys for whom well, like it's not it's going to destroy my character if I lose. I don't want (laughs) to I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do the favors for this guy. Right. Who's not who's a part time celebrity. I don't think that's going to help me out. So I don't want to do it. And he's one of those guys who consistently has cut when he comes back. He comes back to help make stars like you. You can win in losing, which he's done over the course of his career. That's really cool. So, that's yeah. Those are some of my favorite like uh, mainstays in like film and comedy and and music are the people who like find success and then use that success to kind of uh, catapult other people into it. Um, yeah. Uh, you referenced the agent's job being kind of uh, helping set up matches. Uh, what's your level of like knowledge and insight on that process? Because I, it's pretty nebulous to me. Like as far as I know, someone is like writing scripts and handing them to wrestlers, but uh, that's probably not right. <laughs> well, no, there that is happening uh, for the promos when they come out and do like interviews and stuff. Sure. Some some people are scripted. Some people don't do the script. You know, some people will tear the script up and just like The Rock was one of those guys who would have lines written for him but could go out and just sort of talk. Yeah. And everybody in that like late 90s to early 2000s, the Attitude Era, all those guys had to be the able to talk and figure it out. That's what they called it. They I had know. Attitude. I know. It's, <laughs> it's really adorable. You know, like <laughs> international <laughs> superstar Dwayne The Rock Johnson – Wrestler who came out of the Attitude Era. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> His story is fascinating as a wrestler because he was, in, you know, he's a, he is a legitimate third generation wrestling star. His grandfather was the High Chief Peter Maivia, who is sort of the 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 patriarch of the of Simone wrestling. Oh, cool. Pretty much all Simone wrestling in the United States. So. It's him, and then uh, his father, the, Dwayne's father, was Rocky Johnson, who was the first African American tag team champion that WWF ever had. No way. So, yeah, so they brought him in as Rocky Maivia. So he was a uh, an amalgam of both of those guys. That's so and cool. He was like smiling, good guy, and they called him the Blue Chipper, and audiences the Blue Chipper. Like, the blue chipper, yeah, because he was a blue chip prospect okay. in wrestling. <laughs> what is a blue <laughs> chip? A blue chip prospect is like a high value prospect, like Shaquille uh, O'Neal. Is a oh, blue chip. oh, I see, I see. I, you you also considered talking about Texas Hold'em, so you would understand that oh, a blue true. chip has a higher value than another <laughs> color of chip. <laughs> the blue like, is five hundred or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so they brought him in as as he was Rocky Maivia, and they cheered him for a little while, and then they started to boo him because they just couldn't. They didn't like. They weren't connecting with the character, and they would start chanting "Die Rocky, die." Um, so he got injured, and they so they pulled him off the road for a while. When they brought him back, he became a bad guy, and that was where. 
he started to develop that attitude and all the catchphrases that he would sell a million T-shirts for. Right. But it became that like cocky heel persona, like, "Oh, die, Rocky, die, fuck all of you." What was it? Can you hear? (laughs) Can you smell what the rock is cooking? Oh, I was gonna guess. Can you hear what the rock is singing? I I thought that might have been it. (laughs) (laughs) He did do uh, when he came back, like after he left to make movies. He came back for for like four or five months, and his whole gimmick at the time was that he was too big a star for everybody that he left like being in movies was way better than being in WWE so they booed him and he would bring a guitar out to the stage and do what he called rock concerts shut and up and he would rock concerts he would play, oh, okay he, yeah. <laughs> and he would play you could look it up on YouTube look up like WWE uh, the rock rock concert and it's him doing these little made up songs where he just t- talks about how terrible whatever city he's in is oh my god what a heel. Is there yeah. an, is there a, an alternate term like because uh, I know you can say that someone turned heel. Would you also say that they tur- like is there a turned good? Yeah, turned baby face. Turn baby face. Yeah. Or uh, face. Face. Yeah. yeah. Tur- turned face. That yeah. makes sense. Is that why it's heel because it's like the opposite of face? <laughs> Yeah, it's as far from the body. Well, no, like a heel's like, what a heel. And then a yeah. baby face, like the good guys were always clean shaven. Like, I guess, I guess that like the, the paragon of virtue in the late 19th century was like, that man has no facial hair. He's hiding <laughs> nothing. What a good chap. That makes so, a lot of sense. Is, is yeah. Cena gener- generally considered a face? Yes. Okay. That's what yes. I thought. Yes. So, that's what I thought. He's another guy. He came in and like got a little bit of heat. Like people were into him for a little while as a good guy. And then that sort of faded away and he got hurt. And then during um, like a Halloween episode, the Halloween episodes, they always had him dress up. Everybody dressed up in like weird characters. And he was dressed as Vanilla Ice Oh, because he legitimately loved hip hop and would like would do like freestyle rap so, battles. So he chose, you know, one of our best hip hop artists. <laughs> Yes, Vanilla Ice. Well, he, I mean, it's hilarious. But then he got injured by this guy, uh, Brock Lesnar, uh-huh. uh, who was like a huge star at the time. So after WrestleMania that year, he started – they filmed a series of promos with him like getting better and and like cutting these like diss tracks on oh Brock Lesnar. Like that got him so popular that he became a popular bad guy who would rap and he carried it. He had a chain around his neck with a lock on it. And he would use that to hit people in matches. John Cena. Uh, yeah. Oh, but then that became, that's what happened. I associate him with like tractors and like cutoffs. <laughs> but that's what's happened now is you get, you become like, if they don't buy you, this is what happened to the new day. Also new day was introduced as a bunch of like gospel, that's gospel right. themed good guys. Yeah. And my boyfriend's brother well, told me about this actually. Yeah, they hated them. They would boo them and then that so they used that to turn them heel and then they became the most popular act in the company and then they had to they had to make them good guys again. And that's happened over and over again throughout the years. That's happened really with- really funny uh that like 
the swings kind of are responses to general crowd response. It's, yes. I feel like that's pretty unique to wrestling and that the fan base can really influence the trajectory of performers. Yes. Yes. The audience does have a say. And then it becomes like, well, if they want, uh, like you have two guys together, you know, you're going to break them up at some point. The audience knows it's going to happen. How, how much can you stretch out that anticipation? How many times can you tease that it's going to happen and then bring it back so that when you do it, like you, you're trying to get that water to the boiling point. Right. So it's, it's interesting to see them do that. And sometimes it's a relatively short amount of time. Sometimes it takes almost a year, but that big payoff is always worth it. Then the question becomes, well, now what? And that's where it falls down. If you don't have, like you've had that great moment. If you don't have anywhere to go after that, then it, it's not like it was for nothing, but it's disappointing when you sort of throw energy into supporting someone and then they have their big moment and they sort of go away. It's clear like, well, we don't have anything else for you right now. So you're just going to sort of fade. Sorry. Yeah. It's interesting that you reference that you think your favorite, uh, performers and, or wrestlers, uh, are, are guys like Jericho who know how to arc a story through a match. And that there's also these huge, like, cross uh uh event arcs and like you said like over the course of a year um so it seems like story is just imperative to the whole process what do you think is your what do you think are some of the more interesting storylines like match to match (sighs) maybe not even specifically Um, just like it generally what what would you be stoked to watch Jeez. I, well, I think about it in terms of storylines. And then, you know, some performers have chemistry together, some don't. And the storylines that work are the same ones they've been doing for years and years. Someone is uh, betrayed by a friend, and they have to go get revenge. They, they had a group called The Shield that broke up in 2014 because one guy turned on the other two. And he sold them out because he was promised he would be made into a bigger star. And one of the guys in the group just was like, I'm going to dedicate my life to making yours a living hell. So it was like for – and they've been feuding on and off now for almost three years. Like anytime they're in the ring together, it's great. And they would fight intensely and the crowd would go nuts. Then they would go their separate ways and then they'd be brought back together. And that, that I always appreciate when they have a long memory with things and that story in particular, because they're invested in those stars had a, had a, uh, had length to it and a memory. So that made it more enjoyable. You're more invested in the match. I mean, I can show you a great match that you might appreciate sort of on its merits, but when you see the stuff that leads up to it, that's what makes it such an important moment. Like, uh, George McFly punching Biff Tannen and Back to the Future right. is a real cool moment to watch. But when you've seen the rest of the film and you know everything that that's led to that moment, then it becomes like, whoa, right. that's amazing. 
that's that's a great analogy and it definitely it it kind of brings to mind for me the one of the major differences between a standalone like film versus a television series because it's just mm-hmm. so much easier to have set up and pay off over the course of a season of TV than it is in an hour and a half of a movie. So the yeah. the economy of uh, you know dialogue and interpersonal relationships on film uh, is is a little bit lost in in TV, and it seems like even in wrestling that a lot of it has to kind of be uh like fed over the course of the season as it were yeah it it, it enhances that i mean you could have two guys wrestle just because they need something to do and it can be a fine match but it's never the stories uh all told stories and emotional connection to the audience are, are are what make it work there's a there was a really good match a few years ago at WrestleMania, it was Shawn Michaels versus Ric Flair. And if Ric Flair lost, he was going to retire. So that was his retirement match, essentially. And But when you're watching it, you're going, well, there's no way Ric Flair is, is an older guy. Right. Shawn Michaels is still in his prime. It's not believable that this match could go longer than five minutes. So what they do is, in the first few minutes... Shawn Michaels misses a big move and he's hobbled. So now all of a sudden you go, oh, they're on equal footing. What a smart thing. Yeah, this shit just got real. Yeah, that's really interesting. And you lean in. That's like an audience member either leans into something or leans back. So you mm -hmm. just want to keep them leaning in, leaning in, leaning in. And that was something that got me to lean in. That's a really good point. And uh, I – I mean, I find the similar things in terms of like, especially comedy on film versus on TV. It seems like it's at least now much harder to make a very, very funny movie versus, you know, how many popular hilarious sitcoms do we have? Like, it, it the, there's a there's definitely a, a disparate nature to those things just because you can see, well, it's really funny for. Uh, Kevin's character on The Office to have uh, this woman Holly come in and think that he is special needs <laughs> because <laughs> you've seen everything that happened to Kevin and everything he did up to that point and you've never viewed it through that lens before, you know? Um, yes. In a way that that kind of storyline probably wouldn't work in film because you just didn't have enough of the the back, you hadn't seen enough of that character yet. Um and it seems it's really interesting to think about that being similar uh, where wrestling is concerned. Um, is there anything that you would feel remiss if we didn't talk about it? I mean, we've kind of jumped uh, around a decent amount, um, but if there was anything that coming in, you're like, well, we got to talk about. Uh, I don't know the fact that Macho Man represented slim jim for so long <laughs> <laughs> yeah why are we not talking about that why are we not talking about his uh, rap album that he put out in the 90s oh my god i did know that existed and completely forgot about it <laughs> yeah there were a lot of like wrestlers putting out album hulk hogan put out an album it was oh. hulk hogan and the wrestling boot band and it is it is a fucking disaster the worst song of which is called Hulkster in Heaven. Oh, boy. Which is, uh, that is a song about a, a young fan of his who has passed away. And 
the whole song is like him singing to him and like for some reason the saddest part of this child's death is that he won't get to see Hulk Hogan perform anymore no yeah go look it up and listen to it the uh I've made a note (laughs) yeah oh it's so bad And, and he was a guy like I think he knew like the members of Steely Dan or something in college he's a bass player like he was legitimately into music but somehow his life got away from him and like Mark Wahlberg uh, in Boogie Nights recording music with his own money is better than anything on that Hulk Hogan album. Well, uh, who, who? Oh, Bruce Willis, I think it is, had a an era where he was making music. Yeah, and he was Bruno. If you ever want to feel physically ill. Because uh. you're witnessing someone's—I <laughs> don't know—brutal uh, attempts at creating art. Yeah, check out some Bruce Willis music. It just feels like in that era, like the you—the whole album feels like he's in the room with you, and that you're just listening to it, going like, "I know when this is over, he's going to ask me what I think, and I have to spend <laughs> all of my energy right now." doing two things pretending like i'm listening to him and coming up with that answer that is so funny the first time i ever watched a video of a performance of him or a video of him performing one of his songs i turned it off because the like uh peripheral like just I, it wasn't disgust. It was just, I was so embarrassed. The secondhand embarrassment, that's what it was. I was so embarrassed. And for you to say that there there was part of that, there was a deep-seated fear that he was going to ask me how I liked it, mm-hmm. is so accurate because I was like, I, I can't, I have to turn it off. I, I, can't, I can't let him get to the part where he asked me what I think. I just have to turn it off. That's, yeah, that's the last track of the album. <laughs> so what'd you think? Uh, well, Do I have soul? <laughs> oh. um, I took it off the rails a little, but is there anything that you feel like you uh, want to touch on before we close it out here? No, I mean, it's. I think it. Uh, it's worth taking a look at. And, it, and it's, the, the hard thing in watching it is not, like, I feel like anybody who watches it comes into it with a ton of judgment sure. as to what it is. Right. And it's not like, like nobody sits down to watch the Gilmore girls for the first time with their arms crossed going, this better be pithy. <laughs> like, so if you're going to watch it, it's inter- it'd be interesting to try to go into it. Like with no, like realize these are super athletic guys who are performing. Um, and the, the illusion that they're trying to create in terms of things being real is, is, at its basis level, no different than any performer coming forward and asking you to believe anything that they're doing. Like, sure. So, like, you you just never know that you whether you're gonna. There's a really good. It is it is a writer who, uh, like, her thing is she tries experiences that she's never had before, and then sort of uh, keeps a running commentary of it as it's happening and then turns that into an article. Cool. So she watched WrestleMania this last year. I think I saw having, this circulating actually. Yes. 
she had never seen any wrestling before and her takeaway from it, even if she's not going to be watching it regularly from now on is very interesting in terms of how you connect, like how you can connect with it as a fan and what is appealing about it. She probably nails it better than I have talking to you about it for, for over an hour. Uh, it's, it's like a very, they're very basic. What she said, the, if you're not going to go read it, the basic premise is that these performers are do like, they're basically fulfilling fantasies. Like you can't, you might not like your boss and you might want to smack him, but you can't, you cannot do that. But stone cold Steve Austin can give a stunner to Vince McMahon. And that represents how you like, Everybody knows what it's like to work for somebody they don't of like. Of course. So watching that play out is like a, is like wish fulfillment. Yeah, man, that is really fascinating. I'm gonna have to read it for sure. How do you feel like your love of wrestling has influenced you creatively and kind of in general through the course of being a fan of it since you're six or seven? I I hope that it's uh I've never really that's a really good question. Um, I, I would hope that it's given me a little bit more of an open mind, like not to reject a simple idea out of hand, uh, because the things that work in wrestling are so often the simplest things and the super complex stuff, some of it will work, some of it won't, but there's a reason why the idea of like, we know who's under the mask, take the mask off. Right. And that game of like, will they get the mask off of this guy? And when they do, he's got another mask on underneath. Like, it's just a clever twist on something very basic and that those things can work. So not maybe not rejecting. And when you're young and getting into comedy, everything's got to be. First of all, you think everything that you're doing has never been done before, which 99% of it has. Yeah. But there's also the thing of like, that's too simple. I think that we need to really spice it up and make it 900 times more complex. And you, you don't. The simple, like the standups that you love make the simplest connections. And that's what's so funny about it is it feels like something that's been sitting there all along and they're the one who, who picked it up to show it to you. And you just wouldn't have noticed it otherwise. Yeah. So, I mean, Louis monologue on SNL recently, he spent like five minutes talking about animals. Like he was just talking about how chickens only exist uh, to be murdered and eaten, and that's why they walk around looking nervous all the time. And, I, and it's the fucking simplest joke, but it's hilarious because then he gets to like bob around like a chicken, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, chickens are totally like that." Yeah. <laughs> and this dude is like the one of the biggest stand-up comedians of all time, probably certainly of the modern era. But you know, he's just telling jokes about looking at chickens. So yep. that's a really, really good takeaway. I like that a lot. Yeah, uh, I hope it's I hope it's true. Who knows? <laughs> I think there's probably a lot to uh the like subconscious ways that it's influenced uh you. I mean, hearing you speak to the uh nature of Mickey Rourke's character in The Wrestler was poignant to me because I definitely had that experience. Yeah. Yeah, I go, oh geez. I like you know who like roughly who those people are they're talking about and and sort of the people it could conceivably be based on. And it's sad to think 
that that is a life that some of those guys endure. It's, it sucks, but it's also like a way to understand how real that can be. Right. And yeah. And, and I feel like there has to be something to this, uh, fantasy fulfillment thing as well in terms of, uh, like getting to watch other performers, um, just, you know, entertain a crowd with the click of a pen who doesn't as a performer want that kind of power <laughs> yes exactly so hearing you speak to that i mean that that's your favorite guy that's your guy is the guy yeah. who who can pull that kind of thing off who can what'd you say the term was get him get it over get it over yeah <laughs> it gets gets over the oddest stuff all right before we uh, close this out, what is the one thing that you want to try to get over that you haven't made happen yet? <laughs> My career? <laughs> God bless you, Hal Loveland. <laughs> I'm sorry, world peace. <laughs> Uh, you know, someday these audiences is just going to be looking at your career like Chris Jericho's scarf collection. That's right. <laughs> From your mouth to Vince McMahon's ears, please. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this with me. It's been a blast. Yeah, no, I'm glad that we finally got to do it. I'm glad we met on the boat. I know. I don't know if you do, you know, like, geez, that was, uh, uh, I was very fortunate on that boat to have met you and Jando and, and Joe and Kevin and Max. Like, I was like, oh, I found my people. Like, it's great to meet people who you would have been friends with a long time ago had you met them then. And oh. then you meet and become friends. <laughs> that's like the best. Uh, I know for a fact that's how uh, we feel about having met you as well. Um, it, I'm speaking for everyone and not just myself. Uh but it it was uh it was so like welcome and uh it it was such a good time and uh i've been yeah i i guess i think about that experience a lot because it was just like this microcosm of an experience you know so yeah. it feels like it it was like on a different plane of existence as this one sometimes <laughs> hundred percent. I'm I'm right there with you. So it's nice to be able to touch base on this plane of existence, and uh, <laughs> I know that, like you said, uh, because I know that we would have been friends had we known each other already. That we will continue to be, and that's fucking exciting. True that. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Hal. Uh, anyone who's been listening to this and enjoying it should definitely check out Tights and Fights um, because you can listen to Hal talk about wrestling for way longer than just an hour, and that's great. Um, yes. Thank you, man. I love you so much, and I mean that. Love to you as well. Come on. One love. One, True love. One love. That's Friend what you, love. <laughs> that's what you meant to say instead of career. Just love. No, I meant I actually I'm doubling down on career. <laughs> I, now I want two careers. I'm getting fucking greedy. <sighs> Some people <laughs> <laughs> are witnessing your heel turn. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, my guest this week is international douchebag. How lovely. <laughs> no way. No way, no how. <laughs> Someday I'll get all you to turn on me. All of you. Baby, how you feeling? This has been an Erdelogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.